Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late-night purgatory. I am one of your intrepid hosts, Adam Walker, and joining me as always is Patrick Mitchell, all the way in Indianapolis, Indiana, wearing a midnight shirt, looking good, looking fresh. How you doing, Patrick? I thought for, you know, it's October 1st. Well, as of this recording, it's October 1st, the beginning of our... Our spooky season thought I'd put on a, a spooky shirt and get in the festive mood of of the spooky season. Right. All hell, hell. I'll tell you what. Uh, speaking of getting in the mood for the, the spooky season, I took a massive dump. This is like two days ago. And I had stretched my asshole to an aperture. I'm no, I'm no Ansel Adams. I'm no anal Adams, but it was the aperture had to be like an F2. I don't know my F stops, but it was not a natural aperture. I, I haven't recovered. My asshole just hurts still. Simply chilling. So there you go. A, hor- <laughs> a horrifying tale to begin tonight's escapades. Yeah. I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> I, I'm I don't know. Right. I don't know what happened. I thought my my body failed me. I didn't think your butthole could could stretch out like that and just rupture. But here I am. I, I'm I'm okay. I'll be I'll be I'll be a fine. That's that's good. Um, do you need somebody to hold you? No, I need like one of those hemorrhoid pillows. Does that help if just your asshole is blown out? <laughs> Or do you have they to call, have hemorrhoids? They call that the my pillow, right? My hemorrhoid. They call pillow? the my pillow. I'm just kidding. You know the my pillow guy, right? You yeah, know, sit on your face. It. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I. I mean, I just personally took a pretty massive dump, but it uh, it came out pretty pretty easy. I'm a I'm a school veteran of the massive dumps. I'll tell you what. With you though, I think the issue is all the beer and pizza. It's all that beer and pizza. This was two days ago, so I was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't drink beer, or eat pizza on a Wednesday, Adam. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> what maniac does on a Wednesday? What what barbarian puts themselves through that? 
So yeah. I don't know what it is, but a haunting tale to begin our four-week stretch of spooky episodes. Yeah, and that's a good segue into tonight's movie, uh, which is a horrifying <laughs> hellish tale uh, about hemorrhoidal assholes. <laughs> no. Um, so tonight, it just so happened to work out just magically that finally, after years of considering this movie for discussion and me putting it off and putting it off for the right time. I think it was the universe. It was the, it, or it was Satan himself was, uh, forcing his hand upon the fate of the podcast. So last week we, we discussed, uh, Yodorovsky's the Holy mountain. And it just so happened to be fortuitous to land right on the first day of Halloween the first episode of our Halloween episodes that I could finally say that I wanted to discuss Alucarda. And this, uh, depending on, I guess, what resources you look uh, at about this, it either came out in 75 or 77. I think what a the, weird discrepancy. Yeah, the, uh, I think the general consensus is 77. Let's just split the diff and call it 76. 76. All right. It came out in 1976. <laughs> Mexico's uh, Alucarda, directed by Juan Lopez Moctezuma. And the reason why I'm trying to tie this all in with Holy Mountain is uh, Moctezuma was a uh, collaborator of Yodorovsky's. They were bros. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, again, just fate just happened to shuffle the cards correctly and we're going to talk about it today but before we do that didn't forget this time actually remembered last night put it in my dome to not forget to remember to not forget that we need to do a stump the chum this is our little game we like to play here at the top of the episode where whoever is the leading host of the episode gives the co-host uh, a filmography in succession of some actor or actress and within a minute the other person is supposed to uh, just, they're supposed to figure out who we're talking about. So I got somebody pulled up today and are you ready? I'm ready. On the season uh, the season standings you're at 5-2 five, five wins, two losses and I'm at 4-2 and two, so We'll see if I can tie you tie you up. All right. Tie you up and spank your bottom. Mm, you know I like that, buddy. Mm. Now, mm-hmm. now we're going somewhere. Yeah, so I'm <laughs> the reigning champ. Let's see if you can dethrone me. All right, one minute on the clock. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning of this person's filmography with 1982's Tootsie. Hmm. Uh, 1984, Fantasy Island. Oh my god, okay. 1985, Secret Weapons. Oh my god, okay. 1985, Fletch. Chevy Chase. 1985, nope. Transylvania 6, 5,000. Got a lot of 1985s here. Oh. 1986, uh, The Fly. 20 seconds on the clock. Goldblum? It's not Goldblum. 
but you're in you're getting warmer. 1988's Beetlejuice. Oh 1988's my. Earth Girls Are Easy. <sighs> 1991's Thelma and Louise. And time is up. I'm gonna give you one last shot. This one you should get it with. 1992's A League of Their Own. I'm You're really right perplexed. As soon as I thought it was somebody, I let's go back to let's go back that... to the fly. Jeff Goldblum. You're hot. You're on fire. I don't know who it could be. I have In I have no idea. Five. And then you said four, Beetlejuice. Three. Yes. Two. Yeah, and it's one. not it's not Michael Keaton. I have no idea. Gina Davis. Ah, fuck. I I'm so my sexist, stupid sexist I was brain. Say, you're, you're was not a thinking chauvinism. Of, fuck. Is is really coming through, my man. Damn. I was like, <laughs> well, it's only Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. I was thinking of like what other people like <laughs> side characters. That's why God I circled back, back to the fly because it has such a limited cast. There's really only two people in the whole movie. I don't know what's wrong. I don't. What is wrong with me? <laughs> women, women are allowed to act in movies. We're not just doing. <laughs> we're not doing Kabuki still. Also Jesus. with Beetlejuice, also another film where a very limited cast. Overall. And I was like, Michael Keaton can't be him. Hey, and you know that's interesting because Gina Davis is such a babe. She's just like I know she is. According to this, I don't know if you know this. Knew this happened? Did you know that women were allowed to vote as of 1920? <laughs> what the world weird. is going to hell in a handbasket? Right I tell you well, what. Well, time for me to check out. <laughs> My apologies right. to Gina Davis and anyone listening for that atrocity of a of a turn. So I'm now at four and three. My game has come back to bite me. I'll update the standings accordingly. I'm not sure if I can make a comeback here. We'll see through the through the end of the year. Let's see if we can get this back to a reasonable, respectable score. You still got plenty of chances, but I am still the reigning champ. God damn it! <laughs> oh you know, no, Gina, my my sixteen oh, year old dog just got oh. woken up. I really think your dog is going to live forever. I'm fully convinced this dog is just, just going to keep going. Here's a uh, here's some breaking news right <laughs> here right now. Um, we're getting a puppy actually. Oh, that's so that'll be the de- that'll be the death of him. Yeah, once the it. new dog's here, he'll say, "All right, peace out. You found my oh. replacement." Yeah, and that's all he's been waiting for. He's just been waiting for. Dad, I just wanted to make sure you would be okay. Yeah. Well, R.I.P. It's Keesby, right? Yeah. Keesby, Keesby. 16 years old as of this November. And he's he about to boy. be face-to-face with a with three-month-old puppy. Oh. Well, good luck, my man. Okay. So, back to the film we have here on deck. Once again, Al Yucarta, starring Tina Romero, Claudio Brooks, and David Silva, for those of you that 
may want to know. Um, so essentially the synopsis of this is a uh, teenage orphan arrives to a convent after her parents die and she's taken in by the nuns and there she meets this mysterious striking young woman named Alucarda and they strike up a friendship that immediately borders on more than just a friendship and through some mischief making they come upon the corpse of a uh, um, not too conspicuously named Lu- Lucy Westernra, which just from that point on, all hell breaks loose. Literally, <laughs> the two girls enter into a blood pact with Satan. They become arch blasphemers of the convent, um, sowing all kinds of mayhem. And from there on, just again. It just it's a it's it it is literally a hell ride to the bitter end with warring various warring factions within this tiny convent from the uh, respective members of the the community within and without. So and. Uh, Budgetary, budgetarily, it was done at about seventy-five, seven hundred fifty thousand, which was the same as the Holy Mountain. Incidentally, that's really weird. Oh wait, that's not right. That's because I didn't switch the numbers. <laughs> I didn't have any budgetary info for this. I realized I couldn't find any. Yeah, <laughs> seven hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> Are you Ron Burgundy? <laughs> <laughs> gonna switch the teleprompter. Yeah, how now, Brown? I didn't do my how now, Brown call. Adam's on autopilot. I thought that was awfully <laughs> suspicious because I said, "Man, this film and this really, is really weird. It looks like yeah. John Lennon also backed this movie." <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a coincidence! There's, so many, there's like more coincidences than one. <laughs> <laughs> is Moctezuma just a pen name, a pseudonym yes. for Yodorovsky? It's, it's the Richard Bachman, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking up. Anyway, 750000 it even seems pretty steep. It seems pretty steep for this movie. So I would imagine. Yeah, probably, where did all the money go? <laughs> <laughs> went to catering, went to craft services. <laughs> they ate like kings for that month and a half. <laughs> Hookers and blow. Um, <laughs> no, I would imagine this was made on probably about half of that. Um, <laughs> and there's no box office gross info because basically this film was another one of those my- mystical, mysterious films that kind of uh, <clears throat> wallowed in obscurity for decades and then was eventually rediscovered and given its due, I would say about 20 years ago from what I from what I've read. It just was one of those little... It it defies research. Well, it's funny because you would think, like, it seems like the history and world of Mexican cinema, even though it's literally just south to us, in a lot of ways is very insular to that nation, doesn't really have a lot of um, distribution outside. And from what I... gathered a lot of it had to do with especially up to the 70s was because 
um, there was pretty strict union controls over a lot of it. Um, that had something to do with it. It definitely had to do with a lot of the, uh, liberties that directors were able to engage in. So I'm just guessing that a lot of it had to do with, um, just very controlled distribution networks that didn't allow stuff to get outside of the, of maybe the Southern hemisphere in general a lot. But so, you know, Mexico, especially is not known for putting out a lot of horror movies. Notably, we have, again, as far as cinema, we've got Jodorowsky, we've got this, we've got Guillermo de, del Toro being the most notable, I would say, of yeah, any director, sure. any genre-related director that has come from the country and um, <clears throat> has had any movies distributed globally. So there you go. Um, critical response... By and large, whatever critical response or academic sort of studies I've done uh, or read for this movie have been pretty positive. Never really read anything negative about it. Um, And it's funny that you mentioned this last episode when I brought the movie up and you were kind of perusing it because you haven't seen it yet or you hadn't up until this point. You said it reminded you a lot of the devils and that's what um, this one columnist said. said, the strongest, most imaginative and visual witch movie since Ken Russell's The Devils. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which I agree. And, um, you know, again, it's been praised by Guillermo del Toro himself. Uh, Makazuma was a big influence on him in his filmmaking. I could see that. Yeah, for sure. So when we get into talking about it, from my perspective, this is one of those movies that I feel is definitely worthy of the level of getting academic study. Now at this point, anything can get academic study, any sort of movie, any sort of camp schlock exploitation, but it is one of those movies in a lot of ways is artful enough and sophisticated enough not only in its technical creation, but in the themes that it's exploring and like the multiple layers of subtext that it's worthy of getting an academic study. So anyways, that is essentially the critical angle of things that I've read. Um, My personal introduction to this movie, if you really want to be technical about it, goes back to the 90s. This movie had a way of uh, its tendrils ended up kind of creeping into a lot of extreme music or underground music, countercultural music. Uh, it, it crept into those channels as well. And so I learned about it through various bands. And I mentioned off the mic last week that that Coffin Worm, a band from Indianapolis that we're all friends with, that for underground metal received a fair amount of, you know, recognition outside of Indiana. They utilized imagery from this movie. So that's kind of where I learned about it and got into it more. But again, you, as you said, that, you know, you'd never seen this movie before. You never had even heard of it until I brought it up, right? Yeah. No, I had, I had not at all. Um, I watched it on YouTube. <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing is on YouTube, which is mm-hmm. 
a very handy tool when when finding some of these more obscure movies. Um, I think you know, on my letterbox, I I wrote something to the effect of it looks and feels like what Show No Mercy sounds like. Like it, like if Show No Mercy yeah. was a a movie, it, it would be this uh, through like the imagery and and the like you know, the, the goat man and all that, that all those sort of heavy metal, um, imagery is, is in this, uh, throughout. So I, I liked it a lot. I think it, this might sound, uh, this might sound like a detraction, but I, I'm saying this lovingly, but it felt like a third rate Mario Bava movie, like whereas Bava stuff is very, feels very, high end and gothic yeah. and like it's like couture um this is more this is like real gritty uh yeah. it's it's not as it's not as sleek as as some of mario bava's stuff but it they both kind of um em, embrace the darkness uh in a lot mm-hmm. of ways it, so it, it felt like that only a more like uh a cheaper version which is not necessarily a bad thing no, and I, I understand what you're saying, and I, I agree that there is definitely a, a kindred spirit with this movie and with Baba, um, in the way that in the themes that it projects, and also again, going back to what you're saying about Slayer, this movie is rife with imagery and lines that just hand themselves to like extreme metal, extreme satanic themed metal. So while I was watching it, I felt like it's, it is the perfect accompaniment to like, uh, to pull a quote from, to like start a track or like, uh, any sort like pull clips from, for like a music video or something. It's, it's like the whole thing was almost made specifically. So, uh, so people with their, dark dark themed bands you know they could not just metal but I, I could see a variety of different genres using this musically um but yeah it, it does feel like that almost like it was made on purpose for that reason but it's great okay with that being said shall we move on to the good the bad and the questionable yes absolutely and this is what the Starting off with the good. So this movie to me is very distinctly rooted more so than a lot of genre related movies that I can think of to, to theater. Just, yes, you know, it is, it is, it is essentially like they could have just had this whole set um 
they, they could have had this set up in a theater in front of an audience and they could have filmed it as is because it genuinely feels like you're watching a theatrical production being portrayed um, in real time. It looks like a stage play. It does. Yeah. And it is overly dramatized in that way too. (laughs) Yeah. And this is one of those instances where the overacting for this works perfectly. Whereas, you know, if it's done in the wrong, if it's done in the wrong context, it clearly is a detraction from the production. But this, the fact that like everything is cranked to 11 with the acting (laughs) is what makes this movie. Everybody is playing this to the hilt. Everybody is just like being as absolutely as hysterical and over the top and passionate as they possibly can be. And that's one of the big main things I love about this, particularly with the two central actresses, Tina Romero and whoever plays Justine. I'm drawing a blank on her name. Um, she's fantastic too. And I feel bad that I'm forgetting her name. I don't know if you I got it. it yeah. Susanna Camini. Thank you very much. Susanna Camini. Cause she's great. And I should remember her name, but Tina Romero is the centerpiece. She is the antagonist of this movie. So your focal point is continually on her. And she actually has a filmography, whereas Susanna Camini doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> right. Yeah. Tina Romero, and rightly so, went on to have like actual a, career. A fairly illustrious career in Mexico. She did some productions outside of Mexico. I saw her in another movie by uh, Costa Gravas called The Missing. It's like a essentially like a biopic about um, I think that one is about the the coup in Chile that happened in the 70s. Mm. Uh, um, so, and Tina Romero is actually from the States. She's from New York. Oh. So she, she was born in New York and then somehow made her way back to Mexico and then had a career from there on. She's still alive today and she's still making movies and shows as far as I know. So, Susanna Camini, who knows if she's alive? No one who knows what ha- no one could. <laughs> I would right. hope. I don't know. Well, she was also in some other Moctezuma productions up to that point as well. I think she had a career that was essentially tethered to Moctezuma, and then I basically after Al Yucarta, I don't think she really did anything. So maybe it was one of those things where she's like, Okay, I've I've shown my tits enough. <laughs> See you later. Well. Yeah. Thank I'm you. Gonna... Thanks for all the tits. Yes. <laughs> I've I've bathed in and wallowed in enough blood and shown my tits enough. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Ironically, she's doing she's doing God's work. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Um so obviously the acting is, is phenomenal. And there's something specifically about Tina Romero, the way she plays this role where she is able to really deftly figure out how to portray this like sweet innocence, but also this like completely unhinged sinister aspect all in one. And she has the most entrancing voice for that as well. Her voice has a particular timbre to it 
that it's like it just hooks you in. So it's very poetic when it, everything she says has this poetry to it. Yeah, and she's got those big um, what uh, Carol Kane. She's got those big Carol Kane horror eyes, which is just lends itself uh, beautifully to a, a movie like this. Horror or horror or both. <laughs> She's got those horror eyes. This is going to be a bad beat for me and the feminists this episode. Yeah. Uh, horror. <laughs> yes. Because Carol Kane uh, from uh, When a Stranger Calls. Uh, yeah. She's got those, just those giant like bush baby eyes, which yeah. are just perfect for, for horror movies. And uh, yeah. Um, Tina Romero has similar, similar eyes. Right. Right. Almost like uh, anime eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Cartoonishly, yeah. cartoonishly wide. Um, <clears throat> so that being said, I wanted to pivot to talking about the set design. Cause like we were saying, this is very much feels like it's, it's all done in a theater. It's done on, uh, on site. And not like a studio, but, you know, again, a dramatic theater that you go to see a play at. But the set design, again, given the limited resources that you're probably, uh, they had for this, are phenomenal. There's like this very creepy, organic feel to the sets. Um, have you ever been to Spain? Particularly Barcelona? No. Barcelona. Never been to Spain. Okay, so in Barcelona... So you like how I say that? Barcelona. Yeah, that, that Barcelona. Was, you nailed it. Uh, now, um, <clears throat> you know, in Barcelona, there is one of my favorite pieces of architecture in any place in the world, and it's called the Sagrada Familia. You ever heard of this? Mm-mm. So the Sagrada Familia is this uh, <clears throat> Catholic church that was designed by an architect named Gaudi, very famous uh, architect from Spain. He kind of was associated with the surrealist movement. He was in the surrealist arm, uh, or he was in the architectural arm of the surrealist movement. But all of his architecture have, has this very strange, otherworldly, almost underworld, uh, underwater, organic quality to it. Yeah, this it is look, crazy. Yeah, it doesn't, it right, it doesn't look like a human had any hand in it. It looks very very martian or even it looks again, like it's made out of coral sure <laughs> it's like a coral reef so the sagrada familia also because i think it was one of the last projects he designed or close to the end um it never has been fully completed it's one of these projects that's just always under construction oh weird um yeah because the it's the 465 of churches that's fun the 465 what does that mean? Uh, uh, <laughs> I, you've been away too long. I-465. How I, oh, the, <laughs> yes. Thank you. That, sorry. Yes. An Indiana reference. You it's always your, under construction. Your Hoosier card is, was revoked. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Um, you got yeah, your so, Mariner's hat on. You've forgotten all about us. <laughs> Apparently, they're doing well. I heard they might they go made to the, the playoffs, I think. made the playoffs. Talk, I, this is going to quickly turn into a Mariner's <laughs> podcast with the amount of Time we bring them up. <laughs> Any, anyway. Yeah, I've heard they, the, the game last night. That was the one that uh, shoot them in, huh? Yeah. I, yeah. I, it was I, a puncher. My peripheral on Twitter was 
was putting two and two together that they made they clinched the playoffs for the first time in in a long time. Oh God! Well, great, good for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyways. Yeah, so the set design has that feel of being like it's designed by Gaudi. And again, you could see the the through line between Moctezuma being somehow related to Yodorovsky in this way too, as it ha- having this this off kilter, otherworldly feel to the entire set design. And that's just like how the whole film in general feels like to me. It's one of those films that it has a distinct era it's reminiscent of a distinct era but it also seems like it's out of time it's out, it's of a completely fictitious era it's like it's got this like fantastical realism to it you, you know you could say oh well this took place in victorian era uh europe even but it also could have taken place in the 20s it really has that strange and I, a lot of it, I think, has to do with the fact that, you know, it takes place in this provincial, fictitious area that itself doesn't look like it would be in Mexico. It looks like it would be in Eastern Europe to me. Yeah, right. Like the right, which is which is why it feels like Bava, which is weird because Bava is uh, Italian. So, yeah, um, yeah, it does does have that that Eastern European feel. And, but also like it trickles down. I don't know. I'm sure you were going to get here eventually, but it trickles down to um, the costume design. Also like, yeah, I love the, the nuns specifically have such weird, uh, like they're not traditional habits. They're not wearing, um, they're not back in the habit. Um, no. They, they have like this tattered Egyptian mummy chic look to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I absolutely was going to get to that. Cause that to me is one of the pivotal elements of this movie that makes it so different. And is, I think it hits harder. Cause the, like if the traditional Catholic nun in it is, is mainly, it's mostly like a, a black uni of sorts, but like the blood splatter on these, like on these mummy dressings that they're wearing just stands out a lot. Uh, a lot more and they just look like so much more blood soaked because of it. Yeah. It's because they're, they're essentially in a uh, perpetual state of self flagellating. So we can get there too. Yeah. yeah. But yes, the nun's habit is so distinct about this film and that choice to me is what it's one of those little elements about the movie that makes it from being just your standard satanic pagan catholic hating fair to being something completely different so yeah like the the set design the costume design that those costumes in particular those are two of the main elements that also you know it lends it this dream surreal quality the way it's shot, the whole movie is shot with a kind of soft lens, soft filter. It was at this kind of hazy, like Rashomon sort of like feel to it. Yeah, like when they uh, in the in the fifties and sixties, they used to put petroleum jelly on the lens to give it like that sort of hazy, weirdo, dreamlike feel. Um, yeah, this has that for sure. 
Yeah. I wanted to bring it back to the beginning, too, that uh, I always feel like you're off to a good start when you open a film with a crypt birth. Oh, yeah. Crypt birth. Good. <laughs> I mean, what more could you ask for out of an opening? <laughs> yeah. That's, again, just it's just handing itself to a death metal album right there. Yeah. yeah it's all the death metal and black metal albums right there with the crypt birth. <laughs> yeah, pretty much any music uh, that celebrates the dark arts uh, can pull from this. Yeah. So that is a good way to kind of bring people, I guess, up to speed uh, with more of like the plot of the movie, because we haven't really talked a whole lot other than with the synopsis. But essentially, it opens up with the crypt birth um, with this woman, this young woman who is also played by Tina Romero. There's two cast members that play dual roles in this movie. And we'll get to the other one here in a bit, but she has uh, this crypt birth and she hands the baby over to a gypsy to save the child from what she feels is the uh, uh, eventual kidnapping by Satan or the devil. So she's trying to protect her child from being uh, whisked away by old Nick himself. (laughs) So, So, The gypsy takes the baby to the convent and then, you know, you're able to imply throughout that this baby is Alucarda. That's that. That was the the wee Alucarda in her uh, nascent stage there. And that's when we bring it up to uh, Justine is brought to the convent. And then you see also immediately there is. Uh, the sexual tension or like the love interest that's uh, being kind of developed between the nun and Justine. And then there's, so there's a bit of a love triangle also within the movie between Justine, Alucarda and the one nun that has taken it upon herself to be the caretaker of state or savior of Justine, which brings me to the next theme about this movie that I really like a lot is this is one of those movies that, uh, parlays itself into the the vampiros lesbos. Yeah, genre. yeah, it does absolutely. And, I thought that too. And it's one of the many layers, uh, the 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 kind of uh, transgressive layers that Moctezuma was trying to, I feel, um, discuss with this movie. So it's not only a discussion about being anti-church or anti-Catholic or having uh, some sort of critique of Catholicism and its grips on human progress. But it's also a critique of uh, the subjugation of, of female sexuality mm-hmm. because there's a lot of taboo sexuality going on with this movie, not just with the love triangle between the three women, particularly between Justine and Alucarda, but once they go into the forest and they meet the hunchback, the satyr guy, who's also a gypsy, he's a multi, this guy's got a lot of, uh, a lot of occupational hats. Wearing a lot of hats. Yeah. He's a gypsy, he's a hunchback, he's a satyr, he's also Satan, he's just, he's all over the place. He works he's, at Circuit he, City. He's, he's, got Circuit City. He's, he's got his little, like, uh, trinket shop there. He's a, oh, he's a yeah. small business, yeah. he's a small businessman, you know. Yeah. <laughs> He's on the grind, but he's the one that introduces them to the gypsy coven of witches. So you have this circle of witches that are all nude and flailing and encanting to the Dark Lord and causing all kinds of mischief that way. So is this the best decade for gypsies? 
Like uh, gypsies were like in every horror movie at, the, yeah. at this point in time. Like it's crazy how they just like every like is it um is it the wolf man that that yeah the wolf man that has like a bunch of traveling gypsies like right. strewn throughout like I, I don't know what it is about uh about horror movies from those 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 three decades in general um yeah like 50s 60s and 70s did, did they loved a roving gang of gypsies yeah and that could also just be with with the eventual countercultural emerging uh the countercultural emerging uh that was you know questioning the ways the old ways and turning its eye towards alternative cultures and alternative thoughts and religions you know the gypsies being exemplary for being kind of a an untethered group of people or an untethered uh, ethnicity they're just always they're just a roving band of people that are just living life in the moment so yeah good time good time to be a gypsy in film yeah good time and it's funny that you mentioned that because yeah i don't i don't recall any more recent depictions of gypsies that are notable no, they're done that's it like 50s 60s 70s and then the by the 80s Gypsies had no use in film anymore. Yeah. So eventually, after uh, <clears throat> after uh, Alucard and Justine find the corpse of Lucy Westernra, who, unbeknownst to them, is Alucard's mother, and it it kind of it opens the curse up to these young girls, and then they're then they're further. T- taken under the spell of the satyr who is Satan, and they enter into that famous uh, scene, which is the blood pact. The that oh very boy. that yeah. just very that erotic blood pact scene. <laughs> uh, so there, it's like the the they they've jumped the shark from there on, and that's where the convent is. You know, it's a. It's in for it's in for a bad time at that point, and so <laughs> I feel like the the central fulcrum at that point is that sermon. Well, not the sermon, I should say. The sermon comes a little later, but the there is the whatever the catechism, the 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 class that they're having, the catechism. Uh, teaching. Oh yeah, I just call it Bible study. Yeah, the Bible study <laughs> with the mother superior, and that's when Alucard and Justine. They they show their true colors, and that's where you get that famous monologue with the and this is what the devil does, and they just like they just vomit a flurry of blasphemies that just sends the whole congregation reeling. <laughs> Music to our ears, yeah, and it's great, and they've come been become fully exposed as daughters of darkness, the daughters of Satan himself. And, and that's when the, the priest has to step in and try and intervene. And he tries his best to intervene, but there's this, it's not going to happen. It's not going to stick. He, he gives his fiery sermon. And from there on, the two young women are put on trial. And again, another erotic, very S and M sadomastic, sadomasochistic scene where they're put on the on the 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 crucifix and justine is uh is through her 
I guess her trial is murdered, and and uh, this unleashes the ire of Alucarda. And yeah, just all of that going on. Again, we've got the scene in the sermon with which harkens back to again whole the, the holy mountain with the the cru- the crucifixed uh, the crucified Christ. They're kind of embedded within the architecture itself. It's like yeah. they're growing out of the walls, <laughs> you know? And as we had that discussion with the last film, that that's one of our favorite scenes in that movie is just yeah. the warehouse yeah. of, of Christ <laughs> that are sitting there and they're like hanging from the sermon. It's very similar for sure. Yeah. But again, that's where this, this movie really shines with, uh, being a, a really strong dramatic piece because there's a lot of really great monologues going on. That one in particular, the one with the, and this is what the devil does. Um, so we got all that going on and so I'll pause. Is there anything you would like to interject with that you would like to note? Yeah. I mean, um, where to start? We covered, uh, of what you've, of what you've talked about, um, uh, there was, there was a lot of good there. Uh, obviously the, the imagery used, um, I love the, the blood ritual is like the first scene you get of, of mayhem, I would say, but the, the imagery used, there's lots of just bits of fun bits of iconoclasm going on. Yeah. Uh, I love the primordial, uh, hedonistic take on Satanism here. Yeah. Um, I like the like I like the Satanism that's rooted in nature, like goat men and like yeah. weird um, orgies in a field and like like quasi pagan sort of uh, Satanism. I, I love that, like call to nature, the hedonistic excesses um, of it. So I, I, I thought that the imagery used in this is was was stunning. Um, and yeah, the, the, the satanic pledge that they, that they make during a Bible study, which is such a hard flex. This is a good, <laughs> this is a good, like Satan, 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 our Lord and master. I acknowledge thee, and everyone's just like, ah! right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> once again, the hysteria meter just gets cranked into the red. <laughs> I just, acknowledge thee as my god and prince. Yeah. That's just that's good stuff. Um, it really is. Yeah, that that was that was great. Um where are when do we want to talk about the the flagellation cuz yeah. I have some thoughts. That that was, that was some fun shit. Yeah, so I I, I believe that's where I was going to lead it up to okay. and we did t- are we, we there did touch yet? upon okay. it. Yes, because what what I wanted to get to was the point that when the convent realizes that they've been completely ensconced in the wiles of Satan, <laughs> that the, a curse has fallen upon them, that the, uh, the, the two girls were basically the, the Trojan horse of, oh, yeah. of satanic might here. <laughs> so then they have to, of course, they have to engage in their, their ritual of flagellation. And yeah, that is something I'll tell you what. And it's like, it's not just, it's not just flagellation, but it is, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, intergender, 
uh, yeah, it is. flagellation. It's a it is wild. Uh, good old fashioned co-ed flagellation <laughs> it's funny how like the mass flagellation the mass co-ed flagellation is the most disturbing imagery in this like none yeah. of the like satanic stuff but all of the all of the catholic rituals that these people like put themselves through are far more frightening than any of like the blood ritual or anything that the sisters are doing. Like that, that, that's the shit that that's the shit that's off putting. Um, but I, I love the, the weird flogging orgy. It was, that's a great scene. And we haven't talked about him yet, but there's a quality to father Lazaro uh, played yeah. by David Silva that I can't put my finger on, but he just feels like a Seinfeld character. Like he's <laughs> him. Uh, Father Lazaro like parading around the flogging orgy with his shirt off. It's so it's so funny. It's so ridiculous. Like it's like it's like this greasy Italian man just like kind of walked into this scene. It's like God damn, save some uh, Catholic pussy for us, Padre. Jeez. <laughs> right. He's got that whole stable to himself. He's got the whole stable to himself. He's walking around Everyone's flogging themselves. He's just he's just shirtless. I don't even see him flog himself. I think he's just there shirtless for the he's there for the party. Yeah, he really is. He's the <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the, so funny. He seems out of place in this movie. It's like why is the he doesn't he doesn't feel like he doesn't have the same threat level midnight as everybody else on this thing. Like he's just kind of there for the good times. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and what you just said about how that aspect of it, the, the Catholic flagellating the ritual, that itself is more horrifying than any of the satanic pagan aspects. So that was something that Moctezuma was distinctly trying to portray mm, because, yeah, because yeah. he was trying Turned to it on sub- a teal. Yeah. He was, he was trying to subvert this idea of Catholicism at, uh, having its grip on rationality mm-hmm. in Mexico specifically, but large swaths of the world in general. Yeah. Mexican, Mexican Catholicism is particularly unique and interesting. Uh, Charlotte and I, we were having this discussion because I was watching some of the documentary uh, extras about this before we started talking about how unique Mexican Catholicism is and how it's, intertwined with traditional Catholicism, but with a lot of, a lot more an an occult nature to it. Like Catholicism in general is very occult because it's so ritual laden. And so has so many like deep secrets and mysteries and, uh, but Mexican Catholicism, it's like, they really have a duality to it where a lot of the things that the Catholicism is trying to, um, I guess, dispel from humanity, uh, like magic and things like that, they embrace it somehow. Yeah. She was, she was talking about how like, you know, the, your abuela will be a spellcaster, but also go to mass. (laughs) Yeah. Like burning sage and, Cleansing the house and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When I lived in LA and I was going to school there, 
uh, I actually participated in the in the Day of the Dead festival one year. Um, oh, nice! And, and it was really cool because of all of that, because of yeah. that whole aspect to it. I'd be more down to participate in religious activities if it was like it was that sort of shit. Yeah, it seems fun. Yeah, I'd um, be like Father Lazaro. I'd show up with my shirt off, flagellating, <laughs> ready to go. Let's go. Being the cheerleader. <laughs> you remind, yeah. Father Lazaro reminds me, I think I just just dawned on me, the Seinfeld character, the librarian that wants Jerry to return his books because he's got book <laughs> <Yeah>. fines. <laughs> That's, That's what true. he feels like. But he's I somehow love- in this like satanic uh, Mexican possession film. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love that, that particular uh, uh, episode that you're talking about, I too. I think that actor just died, too. Oh, really? The guy that played the librarian, yeah. Yeah. He's not even the librarian. He's like the police for the library or whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, because wasn't that guy also, isn't he, He he's like a central character in CSI or Law and Order. Yeah, he's a, he's a character actor um, for sure. Uh, let me see if I could find him. Lieutenant Joe Bookman is his character. <laughs> Joe Bookman. I love how it's just so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Bookman. <laughs> Um, but I don't know who played him. Yeah, Joe Bookman. What the hell, Seinfeld? It's like a, <laughs> a yeah. li- He's a library cop. <laughs> <laughs> Portrayed by yeah. Philip Baker Hall. Yeah, and wasn't he? Like I said, wasn't he in Law and Order? Um, he's in Curb. He's in. Uh, I don't know. There's- Maybe not. I'm th- thinking of a different guy then possible anyway yeah he died in june like this past summer okay um <laughs> so we still got to talk about uh, uh claudio brook and this is where i wanted to get into talking about another actor that plays a dual role here in this movie and, and this one i find particularly interesting is not only does he play the role of the dr oshek but he also plays Satan. He plays Seder. So he has this dual role in the movie. This and- blew my mind. I was <laughs> I did not realize this until I looked on the Wikipedia. That that is talk about a glow up. That's crazy. I can't believe he's both people. I really can't. Yeah, and I was reading one uh review about this where somebody was talking about how you would think on on first glance, you would just expect that to be whatever, a budgetary constraint that in order to fill out the cast, they would have certain actors play multiple roles. And I'm sure that probably had something to do with it, but I think really it had something more to do with expressing a certain duality with each character. And, and particularly I feel it's with the, with the Claudio Brooks roles, because he's, portraying like the old pagan pre-Catholic ways or these adverse ways to institutionalize global religion. But he's also playing on the other end of it, the man of reason, the man of science, the man that's going to come after this kind of intermediary phase between the old ways, you know, and the new ways, the, the dawning of the, the, scientific enlightenment so i like also, that he plays both roles 
it also lends itself to like this idea of a stage player, like a community theater where yes. people be like playing multiple uh, roles and then like changing backstage or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Because I think that... they don't interact. It's not like one of those movies where they try to do a, a trick of the camera where right. one person playing two different characters is interacting with himself. It's like he plays the hunchback, he does a costume change and he shows up later in the movie as a, as a doctor. Yeah. Yeah, again, distinctly something that's rooted in theater and someone who was very much coming from the world of theater. Um, so we got to talk about the the undead nun, the the fricasseed charred nun. <laughs> I'll have the head, fricasseed nun, please. <laughs> whose head gets chopped off by Father Lazaro in front Which, of... If we if we back up just a little bit, I just went. <laughs> what's his fucking name? Um, Joe Bookman. Okay, so when Father <laughs> Joe Book, Father Joe Bookman, uh, call when when Father Lazaro calls for the exorcism, I like popped out of my seat. Like I it was like I started barking, like doing Arsenio Hall like fist bumps and like barking. <laughs> I was like <laughs> like because it's so dramatic. It's so like he's like, we need an exorcism. And I was like, because <laughs> we just had the blood ritual and we just had like I was like so fucking pumped. And right. Father Lazaro nails the delivery of the exorcism line. I like, I feel like he will die and be reborn again as a wrestling manager. Like he just knows how to work a room. It was, I was excited. I've never been like, I, cause I knew what I was in for from the blood ritual. I was like, Oh boy, can't wait to see whatever the hell this looks like. So continue. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, Follow Zaro does give heavy like Paul Bearer vibes so much. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> if, yeah if Paul Bearer was, was topless. <laughs> yeah. So well, anyways. We need an exorcism undertaker. <laughs> yeah, it's Paul great. Bearer used to scare the shit out of me as a kid. He's creepy. He's fucking Dude, creepy. I was like def- legit terrified. And him in uh and mankind. Before I realized mankind was Mick Foley, I that he like pulling his hair out and hanging out in the boiler room and shit. I I was like, I don't know who this is, but get away, Stone Cold. This guy's dangerous. Yeah, that's <laughs> he is literally unhinged. Yeah, that's a crazy person, right? Um, and he turns out he's like the sweetest man in wrestling, of course. <laughs> yeah, but that scene where the nun is still somehow possessed with some satanic electricity just refuses to die and that's mm. the that's the point where even uh Dr. Ocheck is like all right well maybe science doesn't have it all figured out yeah yeah <laughs> cuz there's something else going on here that I can't explain so so that's what kind of turns him and that's that's more of the interplay that Moctezuma was trying to have here with between science, reason, and religion and superstition, and which was going, which is ultimately going to prevail in this battle, this battle royale. Make another like wrestling reference. Mm-hmm. This is a royal rumble here between science and reason, paganism and Satanism and Catholicism. 
It's like <laughs> I don't know all that wet, I don't know if that wets my appetite or is just too fucking nerdy and um, I'm checked out. <laughs> it's like so like it's like a you know, somebody tried to like a, a adult figure trying to tell a child to like get into something lame. He's like, it's like a sci- a battle royale, but with science. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Like, fuck. Okay. Push him in the Bill. head. Push him down yeah. on the ground. All right, nerd. <laughs> get out of here, Bill. Bill Nye. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, at this point, we discover that Justine is, in fact, not. She is also undead. She rises Whoa. from her, her oh, <laughs> plot twist. Uh, she rises from her her bloody casket, her bloodbath, a la Countess Bathory. Justine um, rising from the coffin of blood and just bitch whipping that nun across the room is a is another fun bit of business. Yeah, uh, uh, wh- who did you compare her to? Uh, what's her name? Countess Bathory. Countess Bathory. Yeah, it was very. It was a Countess Bathory vibe to it yeah i I, yeah i love her her rising out of that coffin the imagery there is is stunning i i love that scene yeah call back to old bathory old uh, elizabeth bathory there and then that just leads to our final triumphal scene where alucarda well alucarda she tries to find a side hoe and the doctor is blind She tries. She rebounds with the doctor's blind daughter. You know, <laughs> it really is. That's what it is. She is totally trying to rebound. Well, you're not joking. I know. Yeah, I know you're not kidding. <laughs> so, and that you know, and then that leads to the ultimate, the final, the final showdown between Alucarda, the priests, the nuns, and the the doctor. And the blind bitch. The blind bitch. <laughs> well, she's blind not bitch. doing much. He's she's just kind of cowering. Yeah, right. And when I, when I say, like, uh, this leads to our final tableau of hysteria, which I wrote down. I, I, I likened it to basically like a, a gaggle of woo girls on a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's. Uh, it's hard to pinpoint what anybody is saying because it's like everybody is screaming in, in different uh, timbres, like you said. <laughs> yeah, except for Alucarda. Alucarda has like the sickest superpower of just lighting people on fire by invocating different demonic names. Yeah, so just she's like, like uh, above, and then like somebody just goes up in flames, and then Alucarda's revenge did not disappoint. It, it's did, um, it was the satanic equivalent of the end of Carrie, <laughs> right? Yeah, I put that too. This is definitely harkening back to Carrie in a lot of ways. So, and well, this I don't is know the same year. Yeah, but the yeah. book was published before. Yeah, so yeah already, right. But I was just oh, well, it's funny that we split the difference and said that this came out in '76 because Carrie came out in '76. But I, okay. I know what you mean. But yeah, yeah, by yeah. the book. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I I feel like this is definitely more coincidental. This is a, an instance of of subconscious themes and ideas developing in parallel with one another that just seem to have such a uh, striking resemblance that they could be referencing one another, but they're not. Yeah, if if Travolta just sauntered onto the scene at the final act, then there would be something then, something amiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, 
And then, you know, the, <laughs> we see Christ, the Christ figure just get, uh, lit up like a birthday candle there. That's great. Literal hellfire and brimstone raining down on, on everybody's dome. Yeah. Pretty much everybody gets fucking toasted in this. Alucarda gets wiped out in a, in a puff of dust. Oh, we forgot to mention that Justine also gets taken out. She just becomes oh, she gets she gets taken out by getting a, a holy water bath, which that's really pretty sick too. R.I.P. Dem tits, dem tits. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really gonna mourn them titties. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bad episode for me. I'm gonna have to make it up for uh, women everywhere next week. Please do when we review <laughs> Little Women. <laughs> flagellate yourself in the meantime and wrap yourself in gauze. Well, that's just a Tuesday in the Mitchell oh. home. <laughs> pizza. Uh, nope. Is, is, is pizza before Wednesday okay? It's just on Wednesday. It's not. No. Oh, pizza on a Wednesday. Never. No. But, but what I'm saying is pizza on a Tuesday, though. Pizza and flagellating. Everybody come on but, over. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> having a pizza flagellation party tonight <laughs> come on over I'll be the father Lazaro of this flagellation orgy holy sacraments are the toppings or is the is it part of the crudite oh yeah like the, the ghost burger when uh, Kuma Kuma's did the ghost <laughs> burger and they had the fucking communion wafers and everyone lost their damn minds oh I didn't know about that oh Wow. Yeah, it was a big, this was years and years ago. But yeah, wow. that, that was the Kumas in Chicago did a ghost burger, and the everyone, every single one was garnished with a communion wafer. And yeah, people lost their fucking minds. Mm. Which, mm. with those things, by losing your minds, you're only bringing attention to it. And then they could not keep them in, like, they literally couldn't, they couldn't keep them in stock. We're like, hey, sorry, we've sold out of our ghost burgers. <laughs> Uh, well, all right. So that pretty much that sums it up. If you got anything else to add to this before we move on, wham bam, thank you, ma'am. No, uh, I think I talked about all the all the things I liked um, up to this point. So yeah, what do you got that's bad? What's I will bad? say when when he originally appears on screen. Uh, the hunchback, the satyr, if you will. When the satyr originally appears on screen, I my first thought was, what in the Dollar General Krampus is going on with this hunchback? <laughs> he looked terrible. Like, he looked like shit. It looked like a community theater player. Um, and I don't know, like, what accent he's going for, but he's, like, attempting 10 different ones and nails none of them. But I guess the closest one would be, like, he sounds like someone is always after his lucky charms. Like that's the closest I think. <laughs> like weird hunchbacked leprechaun. Yeah, that was bad. That his his on he was distracting to the point was where I was like, if this guy continues to be in this movie, we're gonna have some some shit to say tomorrow. Like I will not be able to take this movie seriously. Thankfully, he's 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 only in the beginning really, and then he's gone. And he reappears well, as the doctor. The, the that actor does. Yeah, but he he was. You gotta say that he redeems himself a bit during the blood pack because the the affectation pretty much goes away at that point. I didn't have as much of a problem with him in the blood pack. I when he was like 
peddling his wares. That was the height of the bad for that character. <laughs> and just yeah, he looked. Yeah, <laughs> I just it pissed me off. That that was didn't like that. Um. Well, and you said this is a good, and I had it in my bad. But it the Bohemian Community Theater production uh, vibe to it was off-putting to me. Like, I, oh, really? I'm, I, I no longer felt like I was watching a movie. I, I did feel like I was watching like a, like a, like a stage play at times. And that, the, to me, that, that wasn't good. I was, that took I, was more, it, huh? I was more off-put by it. Whereas like uh, the Jodorowsky stuff is uh, compelling and stunning visuals that are like mind bending. Um, mm. And this 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 took me out of it in ter- at times, but not enough to not like the movie. Okay. See, I really like that because I think it adds that it, it adds that certain low budget regional charm to it that 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 is is really unique. So it doesn't ever take me out of it. It it, it makes me enjoy the movie a little bit more because it's such a a low fi approach to doing something that is essentially. He's trying to be, again, sophisticated in what he's portraying and doing it through this like genre based vehicle with the bare minimum, essentially. So agree to disagree on that. I I I, understood why you why you liked it. Yeah. Uh, Any other bads? Do you have any bads? Just general. Like, I always yeah. have to carry this category. You don't ever want to say anything bad about things. That's you not like. true. That's not true. You know that I say plenty of bad things. It's just we've been All on. Right. We've been on. We've been on a Go run ahead. here. Say something on, bad. Just Catholicism. <laughs> the defeat of Alucarda. I don't know. Like, yeah, she she takes motherfuckers out. It's like she's going out in a blaze of glory. But you know, ultimately, it would have been cool to see her. Right out in the sunset, but she she eventually she collapses under the weight of her own blasphemy. The 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 power of her own blasphemy just takes her out. So, anyways, yeah, I understand that that we've had essentially a trilogy here of movies that uh, I just happen to really like a lot. Sometimes it happens. We'll see. Maybe next you week. You only want to talk shit about Waterworld because it hurts my feelings the most. <laughs> yeah, Waterworld, I don't know, man. Maybe it'll get a, some sort of redemption for me in a, in a rewatch. Well, wait till I make you watch the director's cut uh, for next fuck. season. Really? You're going to have to, yeah. More smokers. <laughs> There's more Dennis Hopper. <laughs> That's fine. That's all I want. That's all I wanted out of that movie was... <laughs> The, the smokers and Dennis Hopper. Just give me a whole movie about that. I'll be fine. So, anyways, questionable. What questions you got? Um, and I thought you could answer this. I was, I'm curious here. So, the, this Lucy West Westenra is that right? Pronouncing yeah. Westenra. So, her character from Dracula. How is that in? What is that in relation to this? It is. And how does that make like the birth of Alucarda like an evil entity? Or what am I missing here? So the Lucy Western Rock connection is just merely he's just doing a callback to Dracula. 
So he named that character after. Yes. An, uh, uh, okay, a character from the Dracula novel. But right. so my secondary question is: Do we did we get an explanation as to what exactly tainted Alucarda? How did she? How did she get wayward uh, after being given up for adoption? Um, it's not clearly dispelled. What is the the tipping? What is the really? I guess the the event that sets it in motion is the discovery of Lucy's crypt. So, but Alucarda is already she has the seed of evil in her. That's implied just by the way she acts and looks. Yeah. Um, so it's there to blossom. It just needs the, the right catalyzing agents. And so they're just these events that happen that lead her further down the path. And I, I think that's what Moctezuma is trying to say is um, no matter how much you try and protect certain people from quote unquote evil, the throes of evil or the wiles of evil, they're going to go that way no matter what. Satan's going to find them. The tendrils will, yeah. will run deep regardless. That's all that it is. That it, I, okay. The, I didn't know if I the, missed something or – because when her mom gives birth and gives her away, that she then does like some spooky looks to camera as like death watches over her or whatever. Yeah. So I don't – I think that that's all it's saying is it was inevitable no matter how much – they were trying to protect her from evil. She's gonna, she's gonna go with her bad self. She's gonna be that bad bitch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any other questions? Yes. Okay. But so Justine and Ali Carter are supposed to be the same age. Justine looks like old enough to be her mom. That that was like, I was like, what? I I tried to look up their the actresses' ages if um, but you know, it was hard given that Susanna Camini doesn't even have a Wikipedia. I don't know how how old Tina Romero was in this, but she does look like a teenager, whereas Justine does not look like a teenager. So uh, Tina Romero was 28, 27. Okay. And she she does, yeah. She she plays a convincingly younger role. Do you think Susanna Camini is 28 in this? I think she's she's at least thereabouts. I'll try to look it up. I forget it. I can't figure it out. I just thought they looked glaringly different ages. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say it looks distinctly like one is older than the other. Um, but I would say that they're probably about the same age. She's Susanna Camini is probably a little bit older. Yeah. But they're both supposed to be, what, 15? Yes. <laughs> yeah. There. But, Which, I guess we need to talk about this. You want me to, like, I'm looking at these tits and it's like, okay, <laughs> what, are you do- what are we doing here? <laughs> I, confusion boner. Yeah, and this is before all the hormones got into the food and everything, so. Yeah, this is before Soylent Green. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, you know, you know as well as I do that 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 was a, that's a common occurrence with movies is they have to have older actors and actresses play younger roles in order to avoid all the the bureaucracy of child labor laws. 
Unless you're the movie Kids. <laughs> Unless you're the movie Kids or the Twilight Zone, which at that point you just have their heads cut off by a helicopter. What's worse, though, that decapitating <laughs> children or exploiting children sexually for cam- uh, on camera? I know that is a that is a sticky ethical debate to have, <laughs> which we don't have time for. I'm right going to go with decapitation. Decapitation. Larry Clark, like hovering and sweating over all those children and like directing them to have sex, it just creeps me the fuck out. Harmony Corinne gets a pass because yeah. he was younger and was the writer. He wasn't the director, uh, but Larry Clark. Just creepy old man on that set. That's that's grosses me out. Yeah, a lot of creepy old men. It's like and Hollywood it, is almost problematic. I don't, <laughs> I'm starting to think that maybe that's the case. Yeah, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe Aja Argento was right. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Know I only I... mentioned that because I watched I watched the Anthony Bourdain documentary yeah, yeah, just the yeah. other day. I, what, what a wonderful documentary. What a wonderful documentary. A lovely also, little little piece of cinema about him. But also could be said that Aja Argento was the reason why he hung himself. So, Well, <laughs> Mother of Tears is why the, the reason I'm going to hang myself. So. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, maybe that's the reason why. Let's, let's, let's discuss this real quick. Maybe that is the reason why Anthony Bourdain finally had enough. It wasn't because... Aja Argento dumped him. It was because he saw Mother of Tears (laughs) and he said, wow, I can't believe I'm banging this chick. This movie fucking sucks. I'm done. (laughs) As I furiously typed, did Aja Argento ruining the Suspiria trilogy kill Anthony Bourdain? Uh, Results unknown. Okay. Well, Well, I think we should do some investigative reporting is what I'm saying. I think we should as well. I mean, <laughs> Inferno fucking rips. I come on, absolutely, absolutely rips. They waited too long because uh, I mean, they just 2007. I I don't know if that's the time for a third movie in that trilogy. No, it definitely wasn't. Should have never happened. Just leave it to to mythologize. Leave it to be like Jodorowsky's Dune. Let's just have happy thoughts about its potential. We don't need to see the finished product, but we did. Now it's a stain, it's a stain on our consciousness forevermore. Thank you. I, I don't want to completely derail this, uh, but have you seen the ninth configuration? I have seen the ninth configuration. Yes. Did you? I so I haven't seen it. I'm going to watch it this October. Yeah. I did not know this, but William Peter Blatty directs it. But William Peter Blatty says that. His trilogy is the original Exorcist, the ninth configuration, which he directs, and the Exorcist 3, which is <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer was not wrong here. Uh, the best Exorcist movie. I mean, I like it. Me personally, I like it more than the original. I think the Exorcist 3 is super underrated and, and yeah. excellent. Heretic is obviously a pile of dump. But I didn't know that that was even a trilogy. Was the Exorcist, the ninth configuration, and the Exorcist 3 is like the William Peter Blatty trilogy. It, yeah, it is. That fucking rules. Is the ninth configuration good? It is. Um, <laughs> that that response is all I know, needed. Right? No, no, no. I don't want to. I, I don't okay. want to give misgivings because the reason why I say that is, I watched it a couple times, 
And this isn't to detract from it, or I know it's going to. It's gonna. It's gonna give you misgivings. But I really. Oh no! I'm not I'm gonna not watch tr- it. Now. I'm trying not to. I did fall asleep a little bit during it. Um, oh yeah, I I have heard it's like a complete departure from like of of the other two movies comparatively. It's n- really not in that same vein at all. It's not. It's 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 a psychological thriller, and it's it's pretty bizarre, but. It is good, and the cast is phenomenal. It has one of the coolest casts. Yeah, like it's yeah. just St- stacked. Stacy Keach. Uh, yeah, there's. Yeah, there's Joe Jason Spinell. Miller's in it. Joe Jason Spinell. Tom Atkins. Tom Atkins. What? Yeah, it's pretty all nutty, right. dude. Sorry, I apologize. You can cut that all out. I was just wondering. You'll like it. I'm gonna so, watch it. Okay, any more questions before we move on? No. Okay, let's move on to our awards and categories section. And this is what the devil does. He grants us virtues to expand his kingdom. The only valid one. God, with his lack of knowledge, does not understand this truth and opposes it with false thoughts and prayers. God, silence! Satan, 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 our Lord and Master, I acknowledge thee as my God and Prince. I promise to serve and obey thee as long as I shall live. I renounce the other God and all the saints. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Our Lord and Master, I acknowledge. Go out of the room, Sister Mary. I take the children out of the room. Go, go long as I shall live. Sorry, off the top is the David Mendenhall Award, the worst performance. Uh, this is one where I, I had to reach a little bit. The blind girl, that blind bitch. <laughs> She's not blind. Where's She's her blind. cane? All right, that's She's, what I said. She's lying. She's blinding. Um, you want to say that the satyr? Claudio oh. Brooke as the as the as Seder. Seder. Yeah, that's really? awful. All right, all right. Man, not give, my, my dude is not getting some love here from my other dude. Well, I think he was uh, serviceable as, as the doctor. Yeah. Okay, Frank Booth Award goes to the character who best belongs in a David Lynch movie. This is where I say the Seder. Oh. What do you say? I say Father Lazaro, but specifically with his shirt off. Okay, that brings me to uh, maybe requests because we had talked about with Holy Mountain that we should have a John Waters character category. Maybe oh, we yeah. should also maybe we should also have a the character that best belongs in a, in a Seinfeld episode or in the yeah. Seinfeld arc next next week. Yeah, the Banyo Award for. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Who gets, <laughs> who gets the gold standard? Man, <laughs> gold. This is great. The salad is the lunch. <laughs> Salad's not a lunch. That's not a meal. Uh, yeah, that'd be good. What's I the like deal that. with Ovaltine? <laughs> they should call it Roundtine. Call Roundtine. <laughs> the EG Daily Secret Admirer Award goes to the biggest on-screen crush. I said Justine. Uh, I would say... Hal Yukarta, but man, you know what they say about the about crazy, fifteen year olds, about fifteen year old, but also crazy fifteen year old. 
I said a specific Justine, just like specific Father Lazaro, uh, the possessed reanimated Justine specifically. Yeah. Tits out, covered in blood, doing her best. Eliza Beth Bathory impression. Yeah. Give it to me. Give it to it's me. Like, yeah, that's right. It's like they just took her right out of a dwarf's cover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For real. She's, she she is one of the blood, guts, and pussy uh models. Man, you're right. Which, <laughs> okay, welcome to Primetime Bitch Award goes the best liner. I think we're probably in sync with this one, but it's that whole the soliloquy that they give, oh, yeah. the blasphemous uh invocation there they where they devote themselves to the, the dark lord himself. That Absolutely. With, and this yeah. is what the devil does. It's really it's something. There's a lot of good lines in this, but like uh, from Mother Samir- uh from the Mother Superior, like, you know, like liars repent and things like that. There's a lot of good sound bites. Absolutely. So well, yeah, I agree. Body count. I don't know. A lot of motherfuckers die in this one too. Uh, it's hard, hard to keep to track, stay. and they keep coming back alive. Like it's like okay, how how do we count this? <laughs> how, we've never come across this. Or we've never talked about this, but does a does it count as a body count if they are reanimated? Right. <laughs> and does yeah, that, it count as a double body count if the yeah. reanimated corpse is then killed? I don't know. These are rules yeah. that are very wishy washy with us. Yeah, there's there's some technical gray area there. <laughs> that's, that's, that's gonna land in the technical gray area for this podcast. I'm gonna say roughly thirty people die in this. I'm gonna say that there's about twenty people in the in the nun the nunnery. Twenty nuns. They pretty much all get fucking wiped out. And Al Yucarda, the priest, Justine. There's one of the uh, witches coven. The the one uh, the one nun that is totally smitten with Justine somehow through telepathic mind murder kills mm-hmm. one of the coven members. Uh, you remember that part? Yeah, that's tight. Strikes her in the neck. So I'm gonna say thirty. Sounds like a good number. Okay. The wiki wormhole. Let's talk about some trivia. There's not a lot for this. I tried. I struggled mightily. I was looking up all kinds of sources outside of my usual channels. There's not a lot. Um, one we already talked about is in the the crypt scene, well, where Al Yucarda opens up the crypt, and the the name is Lucy Weston. Around already talked about how that's from Bram Stoker's Dracula. That's the the heroine of, Bar- of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Talked about Tina Romero's from New York. We already know about that. Talked about Montezuma was a member. Well, we I actually I didn't mention this. But Montezuma being friends with Yodorovsky, but they were both members of the theater group Les Paniques, which we talked mm-hmm. about in the last episode, mm-hmm. where I was talking about where uh, <clears throat> Yodorovsky's origins come from subversive theater, uh, and Les Paniques was the name of it. Hmm. And finally, uh, this essentially this story and all stories that have the Vampiros Lesbos theme to them are supposed to have their origins from uh, a story called Carmilla by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. It's a story that I've been meaning to read for a long time. I personally have not read it, but I do know from reputable sources that have talked about this academically that that's where that is the uh 
seminal text that a lot of this comes from. Yeah. What's the name of it again? Carmilla. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's another Victorian era horror, gothic horror novel, a la Bram Stoker's Dracula, Frankenstein. So it's oh, a short little boy. It's only a hundred yeah. pages. Okay. Yeah, it's like a novella. Yeah. I'll probably mm. knock it out this year. Actually, might mm-hmm. as well. Still time. Okay, time to rate this movie. What is the iconography that we give it? Hmm. Plenty of satanic imagery to parse through. Mm. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Out of five wailing, blood-soaked, mummified nuns. Yeah, mummy nuns. How many mummy nuns? What do you give this? Because I know we're going to differ on this, too. And you're going to be mad Uh, that I say this. these These are always the toughest movies to rate. Does this have replay value for you? Oh, yeah. I'd watch this again. Okay. Um, there you go. We, we, we at least met that criteria. That's always the big one, yeah, for me. Um, well, so my letterbox, I gave it a three and a half out of five. How that? I, I, I guess I would, I try not to do halves on the, on the podcast, though. So I'll just bump it up to a four. Okay. Well, again, you're going to be mad at me because it's three in a row, but I give this a five out of five. What was the oh. one from before Holy Mountain? I gave uh, Brawl and Sobok 99. Five oh, out of five, this so. three weeks in a row, five out of fives. We just happen to be, again, we watched three movies in a row. That Adam really likes like every lot. movie. <laughs> I have no critical judgment whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm like on uh, how did this get made? I'm the second opinion people that they find on Amazon all the time <laughs> because every <laughs> shitty movie five out of five <laughs> love this movie super family friendly would watch again. Um, no, I seriously I love this movie a lot. I would even say state that if if I were to do any sort of dissertation on a uh, psychotronic film, this might be a thesis based film for me because of uh, how cool I think it is and, and how, how much is going on with this movie that I think entered into cinema and pop culture in general. Oh, that reminds me, I forgot. There is one critical little trivia tidbit that I kind of touched upon that I forgot to mention. The reason why I, I did know about this movie besides coffin worm is this movie is bitten so much by uh, My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. They use a lot of lines, a lot of samples mm. from this. Pull from this? Interesting. Yeah. The And this is what the devil does, gets used. Uh, the liar, repent, there's like another part. But that's where I initially knew about this. And that the those songs, or that song in particular, where they put that in, that's from the 80s so these guys they were really ahead of the, they were on the tip early yeah, knew, and often they knew uh, my life with the thrill kill cult and skinny puppy were really they were really ahead of their time with utilizing very cult obscure psychotronic exploitation cinema uh in their songs as references i've never so. heard of this band and i just looked them up 
My Life they, with the Thrill Kill Cult? Really? Yeah. No. Oh. Whew. They I look was, insane. Uh, I was in a I was in a uh band with one of the members when I was oh, a teenager. Really? Yep. I can't tell who's in the uh, this is a, a just a strange group of individuals. Okay. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're an odd band. Um, they have a lot of connections to early industrial, early American industrial. That checks out with these outfits. Yeah, yeah. They were one of these bands that they made this swerve for being a very danceable industrial act to just being a straight up like almost like disco revivalist group. What the fuck? Like satanic disco. So. I obviously don't know the name of this individual, but he looks like he's in a Blade cosplay. <laughs> it's probably uh, so. Uh, he looks to be the but, only black guy in the move in the in the band. Oh, that's on him. Like so, the main guy in the band is Buzz McCoy. He's the founder, and he's a, essentially the 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 brainchild of the band. Who knows who this guy is? I have no idea. They anyway. had a. They had a group of backup singers at one point called the Bomb Gang Girls. Yeah. Oh yeah, I my, see the the girls here. Yeah, my life, my life with the Thrill Kill Cult at one point were true kings. I believe. All right. <laughs> so Pat, you're a let the cat out of the bag with me off mic, but tell us, tell the world, tell the world. What are we watching next week for our second week so, of the Flixtober series? Week two of uh, Flixtober rolls on. Um, so we're going to do something different. So, uh, first for the podcast, we're going to do a movie that is still in theaters. We've never done this before. I saw it uh, last week and had such a great time. We're watching uh, Barbarian which um, is getting within our friendship circle and within the horror community at large, getting a, a lot of praise heaped upon it. I'm very intrigued to see what you think of it. I thought it was 90 minutes of chaotic horror fun. I, I think I think you'll think the same, but who knows? Yeah, I've gathered as much that I'm going to enjoy this. I'm just interested in how, uh, how it's really going to go over with me smuggling my laptop in. <laughs> uh, yeah we should do it live from the theater as we watch it yeah i guess i'll just have to do my notes on my phone well i didn't even so i chose this way after i watched it so i didn't take any notes so i'm gonna have okay. to my notes well, are this gonna could be, be yeah this could be interesting it's gonna be tough to talk about but uh we'll do our best you will be my eyes and my ears i am the blind girl from alucarda you have to show me your body <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm looking forward to it okay This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for our intro music. Our outro music this week is, gotta do it, Coffin Worm. Local boys for uh, us. And they are a great band. For those of you that have never heard them outside of our small circle. If you're another band interested in submitting music, feel free to shoot us a line at 
midnightflixpod at gmail.com or if you have any other general questions. I feel like we need to do that part at the top because I still don't understand like we don't get a single email from anybody. I know people listen to this. Which is hilarious because you can't, it's, it's hard in a, in a lot of circumstances to stop. Once you get an email, it's like, God damn it, why won't I stop getting emails? Like, of the spam variety. We don't yeah. even, people don't even want to spam us. People don't even want to spam us. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, spam I'm us. I'm looking for, spam. like, the, the Ugandan love letter that I, right? No one even wants to fish us for money. You've got to be kidding me. Come on. You've got to be kidding me. We were, we're oh. like the fourth-ranked podcast over there. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, so, yeah. So, for Patrick Mitchell, I am Adam Walker, and we'll see you next week for Flixed Over Week 2. Goodbye.